Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? You ready to open the word of the Lord? Should we do that? We're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 and a couple other places this morning. Um, as we get into God's word here, I encourage you to, to turn there. 1 Corinthians 6. Um, so, I think one of the things that we see in Scripture and how we relate to the Lord is that um, our hearts are revealed as God's glory and power comes near us and approaches us. We see this with a classic example in the Old Testament of Pharaoh, where it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. even talks about God hardening Pharaoh's heart. It wasn't that God was saying to Pharaoh, hey, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice you just for my purposes and you don't really matter. No, it was more a revealing of Pharaoh's heart as God's glory and power were being revealed in that moment, in that presence, and the natural inclination of Pharaoh's heart was to go hard and against what God was doing. And so I think of this, you think of the heart, and it could be, our hearts could be considered made out of different materials spiritually. And you, you think about wax, the substance of wax, or the substance of clay, okay? Think about wax or clay. And think about the sun as being God's glory and power. What happens when the sun, or God's glory and power, the sun comes down and hits wax or clay? What does wax do? Wax becomes soft, it becomes pliable, it can be moldable, shaped into different things. But what happens when the sun beats down on clay? It becomes hard, and the substance of clay forms a, a hardening as this, the sun's power and, uh, and heat come upon it. And that's sort of the way that our hearts act as well. And we are going to probably need to do a little heart preparation for today. Paul's going to deliver us an interestingly hard message, a challenging message. Actually, a message where we could sit back and say, oh, this is not something that we deal with. Because actually, I don't think we are ever dealt with this, the topic that Paul is, is talking about today, specifically, if we get down to the, the, find, the specifics of it. But the principle, and it, it, it really, he's dealing with a heart issue for the church. And so, before we get into the Word, before we get into the message, how about we just take a moment and do just a moment of silence and just seek God? And ask him, each, each and every one of us, this is for every single person in this room, including this, God, where is my heart? And as I dive into, as we dive into 1 Corinthians 6 together, are our hearts prepared to be transformed and become soft like wax to be molded and shaped as God would be see fit? So let's just take a moment, go into silence, and, and I know there are folks who are joining us online just as well. Go into a moment of silence as well, and take this time just to ask God, be silent before God, and say, and let Him start to speak to our hearts.
Father God, for those of us who are followers of King Jesus, you've given us instruction. You've, you've taught us the way in which we are supposed to live with one another and live with the world around us, how we are supposed to um, experience a transformation because of the truth of who you are and, and your message of truth that you, you have delivered to us, Lord. And so we live by this truth, but Lord, you have asked the church to walk in love and grace with one another and the world around us. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would continue to be um, uh, moldable, pliable, so that your spirit can do the work that is needed within this body. We come in, in your great name, Jesus, asking for wisdom and guidance as we read your scriptures and your holy word. Uh, give us, reveal to us the truth that we need to hear today. And I pray, Lord, that we would be ready to, again, as always, act upon these truths uh, in love and grace. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen. So what are we going to talk about today? <laughs> what are we going to talk about today? We'll get to the passage in just a minute. Uh, and, you know, Paul basically is he's addressing, it's interesting, he's addressing lawsuits among believers. And again, I, I come and say, you know what? I don't think I remember a case when we've had someone sitting here suing someone else who's sitting here. But Paul's addressing that in this passage today. So we're going to have to go a little bit deeper. And okay, what is Paul, what is Paul talking about? Now he's, again, we, we always reinforce you know, the, the context of the scriptures, where the scriptures are coming from, the time, the place, the message that Paul would have been giving this specific group of people, and then, then pulling out, okay, well, how does that apply to us this morning? So he's, he's during, it's during the Roman Empire, and you know, I, I'm, I love the history about the Roman Empire and that, that, that culture and that time, and uh, so this always fascinates me, but Rome was a, a military power, right? They, they, they expanded their, their boundaries by power, by force. Uh, sometimes they would make treaties with uh, people who were struggling with other, other people. So you've got nations that are, that are fighting nations, tribes that are fighting tribes. And oftentimes they'd say, hey, Rome's a big power. They got a big army. If we would pay them, then they will protect us as well. And then it just so happened that, okay, that payment needs to keep coming. And then you're sort of folded in to the Roman Empire. And this is actually sort of what happened to the nation of Israel. They were, having, they were fighting other people. Other people were attacking them. They, they sought out um, Rome as a power or partnered with them. And then Rome does what it does and sort of comes in and, and sort of takes over. And so this is the, gain, Rome, this is the, the time, the place. Um, but it, it, was a, it was a violent time. It was a... Uh, uh, time filled with conflict and war, but the one, one of the things that Rome actually did for us was give us law. Rome was built on law. They developed a system of law, and some of those laws were even specifically carried through up until a few centuries ago. And, it, and actually, our own system of law is loosely based on some of the principles that came from, that were developing during these times. And so they had a system of law, and they wanted to be a society that was built on law. Now, um, punishments could be very swift and severe. No matter what, punishments could be very swift, very severe. Rome thought, okay, we're just going to take care of it, get rid of it, boom, it's gone, and we move on to the next thing. Uh, the legal disputes often happened in a segregated system, meaning there were basically laws and courts for citizens of Rome and laws and courts for those who were non-citizens, and they were segregated in 
that. Uh, they, had, they, had, they had a way of, of bringing um, things to court based on, okay, were you free or a slave? Were you a male or a female? I mean, they really segregated it out. And so there were laws, but it wasn't necessarily what we would consider everybody's equal under the law in the same way, okay? And so you may not receive equal justice based on your social standing in the eyes of the law. And so this is sort of what's happening around the Roman Empire. And this is what's happening during Paul's time. Uh, it was very clear where you stood in Roman society. You knew if you were a citizen, Paul, Paul knows he's a citizen. And actually Paul in his life asked to, for some of the privileges of Roman citizenship, specifically when he's going to court, when he's in jail. Um, and so there were rules to match that status. Um, the church is a different story. Again, why? Because you had all these different people gathering together in one place that never would gather together in society. And what do you do then if there are disputes and lawsuits and legal issues in this group that's mixed, that is not clear-cut as the Roman system of law wants it to be clear-cut? And so Paul hears some legal disputes between brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, and he doesn't like the way that the church is going about settling those disputes. And so this is what we're going to look at today. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll look briefly at verses 1 through 6 together, and then we'll continue moving on. He says this, If any of you has a dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases. Do you know that we will judge angels? Or excuse me, don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have such matters, do not appoint as your judges those who have no standing in the church. Verse 5, I say this is to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brother goes to court against brother, and that before unbelievers. So here is the situation. Now again, what we see in the letters of Paul, in the teachings of Paul, in, this, in the instructions of Paul to these churches, is Paul's vision for the church is that we are becoming people who are more and more living up to the standards of God's kingdom, all right? And looking forward to the fulfillment of God's kingdom and Jesus coming back again. Paul's basically saying, this is what it looks like to be a part of God's kingdom. Well, this is what it looks like. This is how it's different from the culture and the, the world around us. Start practicing it now. If I was going to sum up the, the letters of the, in, the, in the New Testament, I think Paul and the others are basically saying, hey, you're, you're part of this new kingdom. All right? And again, yes, we're waiting for its future fulfillment, full fulfillment in the future here. That's coming when Jesus comes again. But start practicing it now. Start living this now. And he says, okay, why is it so difficult to work through conflicts in a group like the church? Is the only approach that we can take is to stand before those who are outside the church, outside authorities to judge the matters in the church. Paul says, um, he says this, uh, you're going to be judging angels. Now, we don't really exactly know what that means. <laughs> I think what he's referencing is going back to this very Jewish way of, of, of thinking. In Daniel 7, we see things like the holy ones of the most high are set over the authority of God. 
the world. Okay, and so Daniel speaks about those who are in, in God, who are God's people being a set of authority of, of the world. Paul often uses the language of Daniel and the prophets as he's writing his letters to the church. And so he could have been um, really alluding to something like that. Don't you know that at some point in time, we are going to be given responsibility to judge portions of God's kingdom, okay? And if that's the case, how much more should we be able to take care of minor issues among ourselves? And again, I think when he talks about the issues, we're going to talk about, okay, he uses the word trivial or minor, okay? That's going to be key as we're talking about how we're dealing with this. Basically, this is not the witness that you want to have. The way you're going about suing one another is this really adding to the good news of the gospel that Jesus has come and created something new, and now he's called people to be a part of it. Is that a great witness? No, 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 no. In verses 7 through 11, he says this, as it is to have legal disputes against one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do this to brothers and sisters. Verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He goes through a whole list of what, what he's considering the unrighteous. And he says in verse 11, and some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. Again, this is where he goes back to this new kingdom, a new way of acting, a new way of living. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You've got these broken relationships in the church, Paul says, and you're going to the extreme of taking one another to court in order to settle these matters instead of working it out within the church, okay? And unreconciled relationships, they, they really speak more towards death than life, okay? When there's conflict or disagreement, or especially strong disagreements that lead to conflict or broken relationships, that, that really more symbolizes death than it does life, all right? It, he uses the word defeat. This is a defeat for you. A defeat in war is a losing position. It means basically now you're under the authority of someone else. If you're defeated in war, they would have known this, you're defeated in war, now you're under the power, the authority, the ruling of someone else. So this is how you're acting and you're going about it. You're actually going under the authority of someone else in this matter. And it separates, you know, death separates. The conflict is like, is like this as well. It, it separates. Sometimes it's final. But Jesus claims, what does he claim? He claims to bring abundant life to those who follow him. Going this way really leads to death and cutting one another off, right, and destroying things. Jesus promised what? He said, I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly, full. This is what the kingdom of God brings to those who are followers of Jesus. He says, this is not, this is not adding to your witness. When the people look on the outside and they look at you and they, they see that, you, okay, you got like, okay, two deacons, they're in court against each other from this church over here. How's that? How's that go? You want to, I want to go to that church. I want to find out what that's all about, right? No, 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 no. But Paul says we've been set apart as a witness to our Lord Jesus. He says you're righteous. The righteous are going to inherit the earth right? You're given authority because you're righteous. 
the unrighteous, you've been removed from this. He says some of you used to be like these, these other ways of living, all right? Uh, the unrighteous ways of living. You used to be like that, but you've been set apart. Again, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Your past, you're washed. No, your past no longer defines you. Your past no longer defines you. You don't have to live like that anymore because it doesn't define you anymore. You don't have to seek though, that way of living to, to be your identity, to be your source of security because you're no longer defined like that. Jesus has washed you of that. He sanctified you. He's put you on a path towards holiness. And again, this sanctification is a lifelong process. We're always growing. We're always growing, maturing in our faith. Uh, it'll be, um, we'll, we'll be fully holy. <laughs> fully holy. There you go. When all things, when Jesus comes and all things are made new. And he says, you've been justified. Washed, sanctified, justified. Justified. You've already been declared, declared right before God's eyes. You are already seen as right in God's eyes. You're living a life that is supposed to be leading you to more holy, more holy, more holy, growing in your holiness, and your past no longer defines you. And Paul's saying, this, these, this is who you are. You know, this is how we need to live. We live towards what we see and what we're expecting to experience in the future. And as we, we talk about conflicts, as we talk about unresolved, unreconciled relationships, sometimes we think it's, we keep it like, oh, this is just a personal matter. But it, it goes far beyond that. You may be in a relationship and, you know, something's happened. And you're like, well, I really didn't need them anyway. All right. And you just kind of throw it off and that, you're like, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, we've probably all heard stories or have lived through stories about how systems or how communities break down because of conflict. We've seen that locally within our own town, lots of conflict recently, very public conflict. It doesn't seem to be being, bringing life to this area, right? Just the opposite. You see examples of tribal conflicts, and it seems so far over there, so far away, but then all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, this whole area has gone to war, or now the world has gone to war over what started as a tribal thing or a small, what we would consider a, a small thing. We see churches that as they have disagreements or different opinions that we, we, we can form and we can get ourselves into different camps, you know, separate ourselves into different camps, and then all of a sudden down the road, what happens? The doors are shutting because we've so separated ourselves over disagreements or opinions or different values, and the doors can shut. Go ahead and, and, and when we speak about conflict, you know, do a little Google search on how tension or conflict affects systems, family, community, organizations. There's all sorts of research, research out there that, you know, a, an issue that you may be experiencing is, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just going to sweep it under the rug. It's fine and dandy. Well, actually, conflict affects systems and organizations and families. You have a conflict with someone in a family and and maybe a difference in political views or, or some other area or whatever, and all of a sudden you get together for Thanksgiving and it becomes an awkward time, right? For the whole table. For the whole table, right? So conflict's not just a personal thing. It's a systems thing. 
and it affects more than just the individual. And this is why Paul's saying, hey, this is not just about the two men or a couple of women who are going to court and suing one another. This affects the whole church, he says. This affects the whole church. And it's, it's really an easy path to walk down. It's really an easy path to walk down. You think about the first recorded sin and that story and blaming others, you know, is built right into the story. First they think they did was, oh, it's their fault. Even going to God, God, it's your fault because you created this other person who I'm having a conflict with, a disagreement with. In the church, we often try to mask it or minimize it. I've been in church my whole life. Been in a lot of a number of different churches. And sometimes we try to mask it or minimize disagreements because we, we think we have to live up to the standard of, well, Christians are just a bunch of nice people, right? We've got to be nice. But the problem is that not addressing problems is actually not the nice thing to do. Leaving problems on the table, not actually trying to work it out, that's not the nice thing to do with one another. Sometimes we, we see a conflict or a disagreement and it's like a crack in the wall. And what do we try to do? We try to just put some nice wallpaper over it. Right? But if the crack's big enough, deep enough, what's it going to do? Eventually, it's going to split the wallpaper. And what are you going to have to do again? Either figure out how to solve the crack, fix the foundational problem, or you just put some more wallpaper over it. And then a few years, what happens again? You start to see that coming through again. I've heard people say over the years, you know, I really don't do conflict. I don't really worry about it. It's just kind of a personal thing. I just sort of sweep it under the rug. But what happens after years and years of sweeping things under the rug? All of a sudden you got a rug and it's like, you know, this kind of thing. And you're tripping over the rug all the time. And you don't know why. You don't know why. Because all the stuff's under the rug. I don't think that's healthy. It's just a state of pretending. Sometimes we get into ourselves in, into the state of pretending that everything's all right. Because again, why we're supposed to be nice. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's not true forgiveness to do that. It's not true relationship reconciliation to do that, okay? There was a survey that was done a couple of years ago, specifically with um, SBC churches, and this was a big survey because that's, that's the biggest evangelical denomination in the country, and so they specifically did a survey about uh, church conflict, and within that group, so this is, I mean, this is a big group, huge group, you know, thousands and thousands of churches within this group, 25% of the churches, a quarter of the churches in the survey reported conflict in the previous five years that was serious enough to have a lasting impact on congregational life. And I think this is the kind of stuff that Paul's talking about. You know, taking each other to court, suing one another, right? You just don't walk back through the doors the next Sunday and like, hey, and you're giving each other hugs kind of thing, right? This is becomes like, okay, party A's, defendants, they're sitting on one side, prosecuting party, they're, they're sitting on the other, and all of a sudden you start separating because who do you support? Who do you support, right? 23% of all current pastors, and this is again within this denomination, huge denomination, in the United States have been fired or forced to resign. Seven primary reasons for those forced exits all, all, uh, all involved some form of conflict. So 24% of ministers experienced a conflict in the last two years that was serious enough to call a special meeting. Oh, I want to remind you about our members meeting tonight. No, I'm kidding. It's not going to be like that. It's actually going to be a great, hopefully a great family time. But that's, that's a lot of needs for special meetings, right? 
25% experienced a conflict in the last two years that resulted in people leaving their congregation. We, do, we, we often see within churches the rotation of the saints. Right? Something happens, I'm going to pop over here. Something happens over there, I'm going to pop over here. And, and, and we see the rotation of the saints. 9% of these churches who experienced conflict, it led to leaders leaving the congregation, and 7% were classified as persistently, persistently conflicted. Just ongoing, issue after issue, Sunday after Sunday, not working to resolve the issues within the church. They, they define conflict within this study. They say this, conflict may be defined to include any matter that terminates limits or prohibits Christians from acting or interacting with one another in a spiritually compelling way and therefore affects their ability to serve the Lord according to the scripture. Again, what's Paul saying? Is this the witness that you want? This is not just affecting just the parties involved. This is affecting the church, and this is also going to spill out and affect the way that the community sees the church acting and living with one another in this new community and what we've been given a picture of the future but we're, gonna, we're moving we want to move towards that ken sandy who um, started the peacemaking ministry and we've actually had some folks come and, and and do presentations on the peace from the peacemakers group ken sandy says conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone else's opinion and purpose and that's often what it is right that's often what it is. Opinions or desires or purposes, and all of a sudden a different one comes in line and comes in, in view, and we're like, oh, okay, and we get all upset about that. But this is not this is not new stuff. You know, this is not and it goes back to what we're seeing here in Paul. We we've seen this all throughout church history. And so in the early church, we we saw conflict on tradition versus just following Christ. What what rules do you have to follow versus uh, following Christ, and this was the, the Gentile-Jew controversy. Uh, we saw uh, uh, splits over um, ministry partnerships. We see that with Paul and, and um, Barnabas because of their disagreement with uh, who, is, who is part of their team. Uh, we see um, maturity issues in the church. We see churches full of cliques and segregating into groups. We see um, different values and different issues that bring conflict. Uh, we see a couple of women who can't get along in, in the, the letter to the Philippian church. We see people treating rich believers better than poor believers. We see that within the Corinthian church. We also see that within James and a number of other things. This is not new stuff. This is not new stuff. How do we change the dynamics of the system? This is what we want to continue asking. How do we change the dynamics of the system? And Gandhi says this, peace is not the absence of conflict. Oftentimes we think that, and so sometimes we think, this again goes back to, we're supposed to be nice people, right? Peace is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. The ability to cope with it. I thought that was pretty powerful. Paul says, hey, recognize there's, there's things going on. You're obviously going to court for a reason. There's some things to be worked out. He says, hey, why go there? Why not bring it within the group here? These minor disputes, why not bring it within the church to deal with it? Can no one here, could no one in this building deal with a minor issue amongst you? If you're going to be called to judge angels, why can't we start by practicing 
helping one another within the church. Now, there are typical ways that we deal with conflict or that we approach conflict or disagreement. And, and I, I've, I, using the, the Care and Counsel Bible this week and found uh, um, one of their devotionals in the, the Care and Counsel Bible, which is pretty good. We use that uh, for some of our coaching stuff within the, the church. And they had an article there on restoring broken relationships, hope for the heart. But they call out some problem areas, some areas that we deal with. Okay, going back to the beginning, how, how is our heart? Is it soft and pliable? Ready to be changed? Or are we like clay and we're exposed to God's glory and power and boom, we get hard. Our hearts get hard. Well, here's some problem areas that we often fall into that they call out in this article. Pride. Pride is one of those. Do I focus on how much I, how much I feel I've been wronged? Right? In my, my eyes towards that other person. And I'm focused on how I've been wronged. Do I work with in, in fault-finding? Do I rehearse over and over and over again the faults of others? Do I work through avoidance? Do I avoid being around people with whom I have a conflict? It's a natural thing. It's, it's sort of, again, when we, we're sweeping it under the rug. Do I go to silence? Do I refuse to share my feelings in a healthy way? Just clam up, keep it inside, keep it inside. Wow, there's lots of data on when we keep things inside, how our body actually is affected by that. How our body, how it actually affects our, our body. Do I go to isolation? Do I withdraw emotionally? Unfaithfulness, do I share unnecessary information about my opposers or those who are on the other side of the, the aisle there? Do I walk in hopelessness? Do I lack faith that God can work in any situation? This is too big for God. This is too big for me. This is too big for God. And I'm just... This, I can't do anything about it. Resentment. Do I hold on to my anger until it turns to bitterness? See, those are ways that, that we can respond and often do respond in a conflict. And I think we would all, going through a list like that, we'd all say, we'd all sit here and say, yeah, that doesn't look healthy. I don't think that, I, don't, I wouldn't say that's, that's healthy, but those are the easiest corners to go to when it comes to a fight. You think about a fight or a boxing ring, right? You go to your corners. In a disagreement, in a conflict, in something that's affecting a relationship, those are the easiest corners to go to. And I would say maybe the most natural corners for us to go to as well if we're not working in the Spirit. If we're working in our own flesh, we're going to go to those kind of corners. But we got a great example from God, and God treats our relationships with Him in a different way than oftentimes we treat each other, right? If we, if we say we're following King Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, God no longer looks upon us as sinners. He sees us as saints. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing that we find in scriptures. God doesn't keep a ledger that says too many strikes and you're out, right? Okay, you say you're a follower of Jesus, but I'm keeping a ledger and I'm checking these things off and too many of these strikes and nope, you're out. God doesn't say that, does he? Because Paul says what? You've been washed, your past is no longer a defines you. You've been, you've been sanctified. You've been given a path where you can become more and more holy, like Jesus is holy, and you're justified. You are made right in God's image. He says that. I'm so glad, so glad that God doesn't treat us as we treat each other sometimes, right? And we look to God. We look to Jesus as our model and our example. And Jesus gives us a pretty good model. We'll take just a couple of minutes to look at this. Jesus gives us a pretty good model to walk through. It's found in Matthew 18. Again, 
what Paul's talking about, I don't think we've experienced in this church. I don't know, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Those have been around forever. Can you list the lawsuits that we've had with believers in this church? I don't think there are any. I, I, I don't think that's an issue that specifically that we've dealt with. But we could all probably think of times in our lives when, you know what? Relationships were strained. I had a problem, some difficulty with someone in the church or leadership in the church or congregation, whatever it is. I think we could probably all identify areas where we've had a relationship that just wasn't right. And, and what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 18? Matthew 18, it gives us a great formula. Verse 15 says this, Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. Verse 17, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among you. Great process. Can be difficult to do sometimes. Sometimes we have to be reminded that, oh yeah, Jesus gives us some great advice here. It says basically, do you recognize that there's conflict that you have with someone else? Go and address it. Go and take care of it. If you can find a conclusion right then and there, fantastic. You've run, won brothers and sisters to yourself. That is fantastic. If the pain still continues, if they discount the pain, or, or, or they're not going to listen to you or be bothered to hear you, hear you in this, Find some other trusted counsel, some other people who can go with you. Again, to establish, he says, to establish the facts. To establish the facts of the matter. And then repeat that process there. And go and talk with the person. If that doesn't work, it's truly destructive, take it to the whole body. I recommend going to the leadership first, approaching the leadership in that. And then take it to the body. If it doesn't work, and you have to consider that person is acting like an unbeliever and not actually like a brother or sister in the church, and they need to be let go for a time. Again, when we talk about relationships, that seems pretty harsh. We says, hey, get them out of the church. And I've known churches that when there's a disagreement or a conflict, yep, boot them out. Church discipline, boot them out. We get them out of here. We get them out of here because they're disrupting the church. And then we leave it at that, and that's not the point. It's always about reconciliation and bringing the people back and sharing the love of Jesus with them. So they experience that. Jesus promises that at these times of needed wisdom, where we need great wisdom, when we gather together and we, we seek him in these times, he will be with you. He will be with you. Powerful stuff. Now remember how Paul says, go back to Paul, why can't you be trusted to handle trivial or minor matters? That, I think, that caveat is, is important to remember, because sometimes the church has fallen into the trap of, you know what, hey, we'll just, we'll just take care of all the business here. And sometimes the business that the church try to take, tries to take care of is very destructive, very destructive for individuals. And when it's life-threatening or destructive or abuse, it falls somewhat outside of these categories. 
Paul himself isn't shunning the need for governments to be involved in serious conflict. And sometimes the message is like, okay, if you, you know, just keep it inside, keep it inside, don't air that dirty laundry, just keep it all inside, we'll take care of ourselves, we'll take care of ourselves, and that's not positive. So I just want to speak for just a moment about that. You know, Paul doesn't shun the involvement or government or, in, or other authorities in important business to bring justice. Romans 13, 1, classic, let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. In his Roman passage, he says, hey, the government's responsibility is to bring justice. He uses the term with the sword, but it's to make things right, if need be, to step in and make things right. Paul himself, like I said earlier, he makes a point to use the Roman system of justice in his own case. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. I want to stand before the Roman court. And he gets, goes to Rome because of that. He himself saw that there was a need for that. And again, sometimes we're tempted to say that the problems in the church need to stay in the church, no matter how severe. But the problem is the church doesn't have the resources to actually exact the appropriate response or consequences during those very, very dangerous situations, right? Church isn't called to carry the sword in that when there's abuse or an in, a serious injustice with a, with a group of people, a dangerous situation. And actually, the mindset, if we go too far, that can actually lead to further abuse, lead to further abuse, because we can kind of fall into the cult mentality of covering up or minimizing or flat out denying that there's a problem. And that's dangerous as well. So there are sometimes when there are things that are so wrong, so unhealthy between individuals, very like life-threatening destructive, that even the church needs to pull in those on the outside who are tasked and resourced to help handle those problems. So Paul's not trying to say you don't seek that help. He uses the term, hey, those minor disputes, those things that you guys should be able to work out amongst yourselves to prove then as, that we are living, that we are moving forward to actually, you know, being part of God's rule over this earth when Jesus comes again. I say that the church is called to bring grace and love. I think this is what we're called. We're called to bring truth as well, but we live through grace and love with the people within this building, people outside of this building. Places like the government are called to bring the sword of justice when that is needed. And Paul's giving, again, Paul's giving the people a big vision on what the eternal possibilities are when it comes to being called God's people. Gives them a grand vision. Start practicing it now. Because this is what we're looking forward to in the future. Start practicing it now. And as we look at something like Matthew 15, or Matthew 18, excuse me, if we lived by those principles, man, what would the world see? What would the world see? We, we have teamed up with, with groups. I bring this, uh, uh, the, the Peacemakers group. We've teamed up with uh, groups like that, had some folks come in over the last few years to just talk about this kind of stuff because this is important. And the church often doesn't do it well. And within these, what they call the peacemaking principles, they say this, as people reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we believe that we are called to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different from the way that the world deals with conflict. We also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God, to serve other people, and to grow to be like Christ. 
Therefore, in response to God's love and reliance on his grace, we commit ourselves to responding to conflict according to the following principles. And they list them in this thing here. I actually give you copies of these if, if you want them. One of the principles is we're, we're here to glorify God. Everything that we do is to bring back glory to God, which means setting aside some of our own stuff to make sure that glory is brought to God. It says, get the log out of our own eye. We take care of the stuff that's happening. Jesus talks about the log and the speck in your eye and in, uh, in your brother's eye. Oftentimes we're concerned about the speck in someone else's eye that we don't see the log sticking out of ours and it clouds our judgment or impairs our judgment altogether. And we work on, we, as believers, we work on our own stuff before we just start focusing on other people's stuff. We're called to gently restore. Instead of pretending that conflict doesn't exist, we actually want to restore relationships and work through these issues and we want to actually seek reconciliation. Ultimately, this comes down to our heart issues. I mentioned this from the start. Do we have soft hearts towards reconciled relationships and working through conflict or hard hearts? Again, thinking about the, the illustration of often our hearts are revealed when God's glory and his power, we're, we're feeling that in the moment, Right? And just like wax that experiences the sun rays and the heat from the sun, it becomes pliable and elastic, and you can do stuff with it and mold it and shape it in different ways. And clay, though, be, hits the same sun, what happens? It becomes hard like a stone. And as God is speaking into our lives, do our hearts become soft? Are they made of something that's become soft? Or is that something that's going to continue to be hard. Out of the CSB Life Council Bible, they say this, the motive of our own hearts in addressing this sin must be one of genuine love and compassion. Any kind of response by God's people must be redemptive in nature. Again, going back, giving God the glory and living in the life that he has provided and continues to provide for us. We think this is really important as a church. The leaders think this is very important. This is why we're going to keep pouring our energies into learning more and more and more and helping to equip the church to walk down this path. I mean, the elders of the last year, and we continue it in this year, it's like, man, we're opening up our meetings to just meet with people. We know there, there are things that happen within a church, and we want to welcome people and, hey, come and talk about it. Come and share about it. Share concerns, joys, whatever it may be. Come and share with one another to model that, yes, we can come to a brother and sister and talk about the issues. And elders, we want, we want to model this. We want to model this. Well, this is why we, we've partnered in the past with like peacemaking ministries in the past to bring people in to continue to talk about this important issue, and we're going to continue to talk about in the future. This is why we continue to talk about what it means to be an emotionally healthy church. We're going to use a lot of that language this year about being an emotionally healthy church and provide some resources for the folks who are involved in this group to walk in that direction, starting with leadership this year. We think this is an important area. Paul thinks this is an important area in 1 Corinthians. We think it's equally important, right? Because we're human. We're human. Just like this church, the Corinthian church was human and Paul needed to bring in a word to remind them about who they truly are, not just individually, but together. And peace, Einstein says this, 
peace cannot be kept by force. You can't just, I can't just stand up and say, hey, we're going to be a church of peace. <laughs> Do it now. <laughs> right? Or else they're kicking you out. That, that's, not, that's not how this works. It can only be achieved by understanding. Peace cannot be forced. It can only be achieved by understanding. And what is a breakdown in a relationship? It's a lack of understanding one another at its core. And a lack of walking to resolve the differences. Again, going back to the, the definition of what is a conflict, difference of opinion or value in the moment that sort of clash with one another at any given time. And understanding, it means to get to know someone. We want to do that as a church, encourage that in churches. Again, seeing each and every one of us as human, we all mess up, we all make mistakes, all the way from leadership, all the way down, we all make mistakes, we all screw up. But how do we walk? How do we walk? In understanding or just, no, I think we're done. Mm. This is what the, this is what Paul is asking the Corinthian church to do as well. Basically live in understanding with another and model that to the world outside. Lord Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You saw conflict in the world, conflict in our relationship with God. We were separate from God. And you stepped in. You came down to earth so that we would understand who you are as God and our Savior. You came down to teach us and to give instruction on how, it, how we are to live as God's chosen people. Thank you. And just like every single person throughout history, throughout time, we need constant reminders and we need to keep working at it. And this is why you've called it sanctification, a continued process of becoming more and more holy as you are holy. Lord, give us direction. Give us guidance. Lord, we want your spirit to move through this place to bring life, to build through life. And this includes the way that we act with one another. We thank you for the words that you've given to Paul. We thank you, Lord, that uh, he was courageous enough to write them down and not let these things slide in the Corinthian church. And we want to follow in his example to take care of those issues that we should be able to take care of. Give us grace and wisdom in this. We thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life, the gift of salvation that you provided for us, which makes this possible because you have sent your spirit to be among your people. We come humbly before you, seeking your wisdom continually day after day. In Jesus' name, amen.